A reading according to the letter of James, chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Hear the word of the Lord. Always makes noise when you take these things off your face with a microphone on. Good morning. How are we? Good, good. good. It's my privilege and pleasure to share with you this morning. Um, people have been asking me, Dale, didn't we hear you were moving on? And yet here I am, standing up, uh, talking to you this morning, and, and I am. Um, but I've got about a month left with you, which I'm really happy uh, that I still have that month, and I get to share with you this morning. Um, this morning, we are going to uh, dive into this passage in James, and uh, it's a bit of a diversion from the last few weeks. The last few weeks, we've been talking from Mark's Gospel, but you may remember that about three or so, a little bit more, three weeks ago, uh, Stuart spoke from uh, the letter of James, and he spoke about our DNA as a church. We've been having a discussion uh, as a church uh, over a, quite a period, actually, about who we are, what is our DNA, what, what is our makeup, what do we look like deep down? And I wonder if you've thought about that question much uh, in recent times, but we are talk have been talking more broadly about what we are made up of as the church, what defines us, particularly Rabina Anglican Church, what defines us. And I've been uh, thinking this week a little bit about how much decisions play a role in who we are choice, how defining that can be. See, our decisions play a major role in defining who we are and who we want to be. Define who we are and who we want to be. They're not the only things that define us, but they are a major factor, especially in who we want to be. We were encouraged last week 
by Stuart that the church is not just an idea or a location. It's not a building. It's not a place that just runs programs or sings songs on a Sunday. But it is so much more than that. The church is a community of believers, of those who trust Jesus Christ, who want to follow the teachings of Jesus. Those that believe the message of the gospel and that it is the message of salvation for all who believe. And this church is a believing church, I know that. I know that from my time here over the last four years. And it's been exciting to grow and journey with people on that, that walk. One of the interesting things that Stuart mentioned last week about this church is that it has been a brave church. It's been a church that hasn't been shy in making brave decisions, bold decisions, trying new things, which is a really good thing because that shows faith. It shows belief. It shows an understanding that in order to go forward, sometimes you have to take a bit of a risk. You need to be bold. To believe in the first place is a bold, brave decision. We believe in God, and inherently, being a Christian takes a bit of boldness. Because being a Christian means that you are making a marker in the ground, that you are defining yourself by your faith. You're defining yourself by Christ, by who you follow, Jesus, who we follow. And to continue on from where Stuart left off a couple of weeks ago talking about DNA, I thought it would be a, a good, good starting point for us to reflect on this decision-making that we make as Christians, these decisions that re- define us. So in our passage today, at the very beginning, James, who is very practical, and the letter of James is all about practice, all about doing, James says in verse 13, Are any among you suffering? Are any among you suffering? They should pray. This is a very practical thing. He then says, Are any among you cheerful? They should sing praise to God. These are practical things to do. Decisions to make when we are faced with difficulty. And I want to be very transparent here, and I'm making a bit of a corny dad joke here. I've got a semi-transparent slide behind me. I want to be really transparent here that I personally have often made many mistakes in this regard. I don't run to God when I should, when I'm suffering. I don't, go, I don't go to God. I go to my friend or I go to my wife. She's a good person to go to, mind you. But I don't go to God straight away. And sometimes when I'm cheerful, I actually don't sing songs of praise. I praise myself. I, uh, I go, gee, you're a clever person, Dale. You did such a good job to figure that out. But I've become aware that that is not the right response. It's not a biblical response. I'm encouraged biblically to put God first in everything, suffering or cheerful or more. I am not the solution. God is. There's a corny Christian saying uh, that comes uh, out of the United States of America, Uh, that says, we tend to run to the phone instead of the throne. We tend to go to other places rather than to the true source to get our answers. We should go to the throne. Jesus taught extensively on the kingdom of God. Uh, He taught extensively on being a part of the kingdom of God, that we are a part of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is on the throne, we like to say in Christian circles. 
Um, the problem is that often our allegiance and fealty come unstuck in situations. We don't decide. We don't choose God first. The Bible, of course, teaches us that our hearts wander, that we drift, that to choose God is not the natural position of humanity. We'd rather choose ourselves. We would rather choose sin or what makes us feel good. And I don't say that at all to make anyone here feel guilty. That is the natural position that the Bible teaches of humanity. But we have choices that can define us. Who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? And so to go back to what I said just a moment ago, when we're suffering, do we pray? Is that our first decision? When we are suffering, James asks. When we're cheerful, do we sing songs of praise? Do we celebrate joyously when we're cheerful? When we're sick, verse 14 says, we should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over us, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And what's awesome about that is that it's still going to God, it's just going to God with others first. It's going to the elders of the church when we're sick to pray with them, to seek God with others. This is seeking God first. All of this is about submitting to God and we have choices to do that. Stuart used a phrase last week that I couldn't help but use again this week because it was so, so wonderful. He said that we are to have beautiful, compelling, alternate way of life, a beautifully compelling, alternate way of life as Christians. Beautiful because God makes us beautiful, compelling because of what is at work in us, the Holy Spirit and God in our lives, and alternate because we are different from the world around us. We look different, we speak different, we repay back anger with moderation and love, we show grace and mercy to those around us. This is really important, and it's not something that we do, it's something that God does. Beautiful, compelling, and alternate to the world around us. Because the world around us tells us that it's dog eat dog, it's you against everyone else, that you have to climb the ladder, crawl over other people if you have to, push them down. Jesus doesn't teach that. He teaches a very different way. A very, very different way. James continues in verse 15 and he talks about a different way. He talks about how we can pray for the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if anyone who has committed sins, they will be forgiven. This different way that includes God doing miraculous things in our lives. And sometimes we pray for healing and it doesn't come. And there is an element of trust in God in that situation. Sometimes things don't work the way that we would hope. But we are still encouraged to pray. We are still encouraged to seek God first in all of these situations. Because at the heart of all of this, at the heart of these decisions, and the heart of submitting to God and living a life that honors Him, needs to be a simple but profound truth that God is good. At the heart of these decisions to submit to God, to live for God, to be a Christian, there is a, a deep truth that God is good and that is why we do this. 
We don't do it to be forgiven only. We don't do it to be good people. We don't, we don't do these things for that reason or for those reasons alone. They are great and wonderful benefits of knowing the God who is good. He's in fact even better than we think he is. Gloriously better, wonderfully better, amazingly better. God is good. And I think this is at the heart of what James is teaching us in these passages, that we go to God, we seek God first because he is good. This is wonderful. This is why we can trust him, because he is good. And this is why we can be transparent with each other. And we can ask these questions, these hard questions. This is why when James says in the next verse, verse 16, that you can confess your sins to one another, that I can stand here in front of you and say, I don't get it right, guys, and I know, well, no, you do get it right. I don't want to project here. I don't get it right all the time. I know I don't, but I I confess that publicly. And God forgives. And we have a choice to make once we confess our sin, to change our ways, to repent, as it were, to walk a different path. And we are to confess our sins to one another, be transparent, and then make a decision to change. And God forgives. We also learn something else from this passage, that as we seek God, He is the one who makes all the difference. As we make a choice to pray, to praise, to come together with others, as we make the decision to seek God first, to put him in place on the throne, as it were, in our heart and lives and daily decision-making, we experience something wonderful. We experience not just the joy of seeking him, not just that he is then at the centre of everything that we do, but we also experience the power that comes from knowing the God of the universe. James says Elijah was a man just like us, a person, a human being, just a normal person. But he prayed fervently. He sought God first that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And that seems like an unbelievable thing to have had happen. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth yielded its harvest. When we put God first, and we seek him first, the miraculous starts to happen. William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, some time ago now, he used to say, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't. Fancy that. It's amazing how when we seek God, when we pray, supernatural things occur. And it's not that we move God, he moves himself. But he does listen to the prayers of the righteous, to those that seek him earnestly, honestly, and believe. And then we leave the rest in his hands. So what I've said today is not rocket science. Of course it's not. It's very simple. It's been a bit reflective. But often when we lose our way in the Christian walk, it's because we lose these very simple things. We lose the simple principle that we should seek God first when we're suffering, when we're cheerful, when we're sick, 
When we lose sight of that simple, practical action, that's when we wander away from our faith. It's when we wander from the truth. That's when we start to drift. And James uses the word wander here. He says, my brothers and sisters, if any of you among you wanders from the truth, wanders from these small but very important principles, you should know that decisions again play a role. You have a role in bringing back others to faith. Once again, a decision gets to be made. You can be the person who trusts, follows, and lives a beautifully compelling alternate way of life that draws others back, that shows them that as you seek God, yes, things don't always go to plan. Life does not always go to plan. (laughs) Look at the world. But God is still good. He is still on the throne. And we can have a role to play in saving others. Not that we save them, God saves them. But whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You and I have a role to play. And this is the beauty of the Christian message. It is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. We don't do this alone and we have a responsibility for others. To bring others. To show others love. So I want to finish with the one phrase that I've probably said over and over and over again this morning. To begin to live, to continue to live a beautifully compelling alternate way of life, to make it a part of our DNA, the people we want to be, the church we want to be, we must seek God first. 